Verse 16 Atma is devoid of eye sense. It, as with a yogi, owing to its own maya, sportively unfolds itself in varied forms. A yogi, unmoved from his state of being well-founded in yoga, assumes myriad forms, sportively moving around. Hello, welcome back to the Lamp of Awareness. We're working through the poem written by Srinarayana Guru called Advaita Dipika, Little Lamp. Srinarayana Guru was born in 1854 in Kerala, South India, and he was a philosopher, a sage, and his poems and books written about his philosophy is as applicable today as it was then in terms of building a community based on love and respect for each other. It does not matter who you are, what religion you follow or don't follow. It simply rests on the principle of togetherness as a human being. Today we're looking at verse 16. In this verse, we are introduced to the most important word that is at the core of Srinarayana Guru's philosophy. And that word is Atma. Although I've referred to this Atma in earlier recordings, it is here and only in this verse do we actually hear the word referred to by Srinarana Guru. This verse is probably the most poignant because it takes us to the experience of being and of being one with Atma. We are now getting to the heart of the poem. As Atma is the root of everything and there is nothing that exists or does not exist that is not Atma, the one conscious reality. I pondered for a very long time in terms of wondering why Atma appears as real uh, with a capital R and how the Maya, the illusion, fits together. As the heart pumps blood around the body, So we think that the body is dependent upon the heart. But to date, we do not know how the body functions. And although it is the heart, an organ that carries the blood, we do not know where in the heart or how the heart actually pumps the blood. It remains a mystery beyond any scientific understanding. And we can only understand this from the concept of Maya. Within Atma, the conscious reality, there is a creative principle called Maya. Chit, of course, is consciousness, cannot exist without being creative. And it is continuously creates and recreates. And the creative potential within itself is called Maya. So this creative force is within us also and cannot be explained but certainly can be experienced. In this verse, the example used is of the yogi, who has a higher self-understanding than a normal person. A yogi sees himself as one with the whole and sees himself in everything, and everything is in him too. 
So there's no separateness and hence Atma has no I-ness. On a very practical level, I was watching a group of ants on the patio in the garden. The ants were trying to move a crumb of cake that had fallen on the floor. First they gathered in a group and then they angled this piece over the body of two ants that held together. And then once it was mounted and I watched as they struggled in their endeavour to move this crumb to the other end of the patio. They formed a line and worked in pairs to move the crumb along. And here there is no I-ness, only togetherness. And in doing so, they were able to do something that would have been impossible on their own. Watching the ants at work brought home to me this understanding that I am everything and nothing at all at the same time. An ant alone is powerless, but as a group it can move mountains. But the point is that the group cannot be a group without each ant, and so it is nothing, and yet it is everything. So the one conscious reality has within it the creative potential of Maya, and this world is the result of that creative energy at play, but is a play of creation. This verse takes us to the core of the meaning of this poem and coupled with the explanation and the reference to the book by Richard Back called Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which is a must read, you will be blown away by what is shared here. Enjoy verse 16 of Advaita Dipika Little Lamp along with the explanations given by Swami Muni Narayana Prasad in his book of shorter Philosophical Poems of Narayana Guru Verse 16 Atma is devoid of I-sense. It, as with a yogi, owing to its own maya, sportively unfolds itself in varied forms. A yogi, unmoved from his state of being well-founded in yoga, assumes myriad forms, sportively moving around. That innumerable names, innumerable ideas and innumerable corresponding objects comprise the world, that it has one underlying reality that alone has everlasting existence and that reality is consciousness in essence, were all detailed in the first half of this work. That one reality is here named Atma, the most crucial word in the philosophy of the Guru, and which the Guru uses in the present work only once. The word consciousness, Aruvu or Bodham in the original, conveys the idea of something inconceivably abstract whilst being brightness in essence, whereas what Atma signifies is the directly experienced actual beingness of oneself. The word Atma is derived from the verb root at meaning to pervade. The substance that pervades the being of something, for example, clay in a pot, is its atma. 
The substance that pervades one's own being, as with all else, is nothing other than consciousness. The way the one consciousness, Atma, unfolds itself as the subjective as well as objective world is always thought of as a mystery often described in Vedanta with the help of the concept of Maya. In the present case, it is compared by the Guru to the phenomenon of Siddhis, psychic powers, seen at times in the lives of yogis, himself an example. A yogi is a person in a state of yoga, the state of being fully absorbed, the state of realizing oneself fully as pure consciousness in essence. A yogi is one who is already inseparably in the pure consciousness that is the essential substance in the entire cosmos, thus fully identified with the whole. In such yogis are seen at times unworldly attainments known as siddhis, for example, being seen at two places simultaneously. This phenomenon is conveniently made use of by the Guru to show how mysterious is the way of the unfoldment of the world, how Atma unfolds itself and appears as the world becomes clear if one understands how a yogi remaining oneself appears to be in different places at the same time. A yogi's self-understanding, by necessity, is entirely different from that of a commoner. The former lives by perceiving oneself as fully with the whole as a wave with ocean, and the latter by perceiving oneself as a separately existing entity among other such entities. It is such perception of the latter that makes the yogi seem to exist separate from them and to be miraculous. What is normal and natural with a yogi is something uncommon and supernatural in the perception of a non-yogi. I am everything is the common and natural experience. A yogi is always immersed in. One then sees oneself in everything and everything in oneself. The state of this natural full identity with everything to a commoner, looks like the yogi appearing here and there at the same time. He counts it as a siddhi. Yogis, in other words, do not show any miracle. What is natural with them is merely seen by non-yogis as miracles. Yet such phenomena seen in them are no more mental fantasies of the spectator either. In his well-known book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, Richard Back portrays how the natural beingness of a yogi is seen by others as a miracle. Jonathan the Seagull practices flying at the highest speed possible. 
the maximum speed attainable in this world having been attained, he reaches another world where the highest speed he knows is only something very common. A master who can teach the maximum speed attainable in that world lives there. He, finding a real seeker in Jonathan, teaches him the secret of attaining the highest speed. To increase flying speed means to decrease flight time. And by bringing down flight time to zero, one reaches the maximum speed attainable. Making flight time zero means reaching somewhere in no time. In other words, being at two places at the same time. The master who taught this secret to Jonathan dies very soon, but the latter practices it on his own and finally actualizes it. And then the other seagulls in the community began to see Jonathan as sitting here and there at one and and at the same time. So is the case with yogis too. They feel themselves as existing everywhere. The non-yogis perceive them as existing simultaneously at more than one place they're interested in and nowhere else. Leaving aside the individualness, ahamkriti, of a yogi, then what is seen as the miraculous phenomenon is nothing but the one Atma assuming the form of and appearing as many. In this sense, the Guru says, Atma is devoid of I-sense. It, as with a yogi, owing to its own maya, sportively unfolds itself in varied forms. A yogi, counted as an individual being, experiences himself as unfolding and appearing as the world and counted as the one reality. Atma becomes manifest as the world, itself undergoing no intrinsic change. This unfoldment of Atma is nothing more than a sport for it an occasion for experiencing the joy of bringing out and seeing for itself all the potentials hidden within. Sat, Chit, Ananda, in essence, Atma never remains inactive, never remains without unfolding itself as the world. And for this very reason, it remains hidden from our perception. This mysterious self-hiding, self-manifestation of Atma, we the perceivers forming part of it, is known in Vedanta as Maya. Though non-existent in itself, it causes Atma to appear as the world and as we see the world. What we always perceive, what we continue to perceive even after becoming convinced of the unreality of the world, in short, is Atma alone. We, the perceivers, are also nothing but Atma. Atma, seeing itself, 
is what happens, for nothing other than Atma exists. Atma, by the unfolding itself and assuming the form of the world, we the perceivers and the act of perceiving included, provides for itself an occasion for perceiving itself. Confounded by Maya as we are, we think we are perceiving the world. Logical reason is not what controls this mysteriousness of Atma, for reasoning is simply part of its manifest forms, and hence Atma never becomes revealed to reasoning. Those who transgress logical reasoning through intuitive perception realize themselves being Atma in essence. No more doubt remaining. This point is given special emphasis to in the next verse. That brings us to the end of verse 16. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to verse 16. Thank you for listening and I will catch up with you again when we do verse 17. Thank you. Bye for now.